welcome to the Awesome Friday Game Podcast. My name's Simon and each week I'm going to take a look at both a new game and something from the gaming archives. I hope this is going to be a regular series to complement our movie podcast, although of course no promises as this tends to get a little disrupted when life gets in the way, just like our regular podcast, but hopefully it's going to be a weekly thing. Episode 1 I'm going to look at the most recent Call of Duty, Vanguard as well as taking a wistful look back at UGA's classic res. So let's look at the new Call of Duty. So the new Call of Duty goes back in time again after the Cold War um, setting of the last Black Ops. It's gone back to a World War II setting. And of course Call of Duty has its origins in this setting, uh, sometimes earlier, sometimes a little bit later. I actually, I'm in the minority that I absolutely adored the futuristic Infinite Warfare. I thought it was one of the best campaigns um, from Call of Duty. Some really good, exciting moments. But compared to the other um, Cold War Call of Duties, I really like the old Second World War setting. And it was a good thing for me for Call of Duty to find itself back in making strong single player campaigns because of course with Warzone and I think with Black Ops 4 it was a non-campaign multiplayer mode only and I don't play any online multiplayer with strangers I'm of the age where my multiplayer was playing on couches next to people and so I've never found it comfortable to play with strangers online so that side actually doesn't interest me at all I'm always interested in a Call of Duty if it has a strong single-player campaign. And that's one of the things about Call of Duty for me. I would call it a guilty pleasure, but I don't even think it's that guilty. Playing through the campaign each year, knowing it's going to be a five or six or seven hour experience, and treating it like a movie, like an interactive movie, is honestly a real thrill I get. I'm definitely the kind of gamer that prefers single player campaigns. As I've explained before, I'm not really into multiplayer. And there's something about the Call of Duty campaigns when they are firing on all cylinders, where they have all that budget and all that artistry behind them. It's kind of like playing through something like a triple X movie or a very cheesy um, war movie. There's a J.J. Uh, Abrams produced war movie, and if Matt were here, he'd be able to tell me the name, where some young soldiers stumble upon a Nazi um, encampment where they're secretly making zombies. It was basically Call of Duty Zombies, the movie. And a good Call of Duty can feel like that, like really bombastic and really kind of out there and a bit crazy. And after playing through the Vanguard campaign... I can say this is one of the strongest Call of Duty campaigns in a long, long time. And inadvertently, buried in that campaign is perhaps the future of the franchise, but I'll get a bit more into that later. So the campaign does a very, very clever thing, and that it sets the entire story around a ragtag group of mismatched soldiers on a suicide mission and i'm already there for that kind of thing i love this uh fighting against overwhelming odds 
uh, how will we possibly survive kind of situation. And I like sticking with the same characters. We have a group of six as the main core, uh, all really well acted, and the whole game is really, really well directed. And you've got some top um, voice acting talent in there, including Laura Bailey, who is fantastic as usual. The opening level and the closing level are the only levels where you actually play as the full group. And this is this could be disappointing to some because it's really in these two levels where you are using their distinct and individual skills because they each have like a, a buff or, and a bonus skill that they have. And when the game gets to the point where it has taught you about each of these skills individually and lets you loose and cuts between them and it's all controlled you don't you're not at the point in call of duty yet where you can swap your protagonists it's all directed but it's expertly directed so it may be disappointing to some that you don't have that full group that basically in the first mission which is a wonderful um running insertion into a, a submarine factory uh, and it, it really, really feels like one of these desperate measures taken by crazy people in crazy times. And um, as a result of that mission, you get locked up. You and your team get locked up. And you're questioned one by one by Do Dominic Moynihan's fantastic Nazi desk jockey, Yannick Richter, who... Um, Dominic Moynihan's a great actor anyway, but he finds a very... Uh, a very sensitive coldness like part of this character is that he he has never seen combat and so he's always kind of trying to prove his worth to this nazi machine as these much stronger nazis are around him and he, so he does play it very very well as he i say interviews as he tortures <laughs> interrogates each of the team you get a flashback mission or two in some of the cases and these are these were all good they're all very very good and the approach actually gives you a lot of flexibility with what you can do with the story missions instead of it just being the same setting and the same time frame you've got um, desert rats tumbling over sand dunes. You've got cr uh, creeping through icy streets in Russia with a sniper rifle. You've got standoffs in hotels. You've got um, uh, fantastic um, airplane battles, um, which are completely over the top. There's not an ounce of realism here, but why would you ever look for that in a Call of Duty? And what's really nice about these is that they're all, uh, all the fat is trimmed off. Like they're almost treated like their own mini games in that the two or three missions that they have are all completely laser focused on that era and that location. But also each of the heroes has this skill that I mentioned before. And so it puts you in many, many situations where you have to use that skill in order to survive. And it, uh, the skills could be slowing down time or um, locating, using your heightened senses to locate enemies through walls or um, 
using a, a special ammunition or demolitions equipment. And the, there's, there's one slight problem, though, in that they're all very, very good. But one of the characters, um, the only female in the character, Paulina Petrova, who is a Russian uh, sniper, uh, again voiced spectacularly by Laura Bailey, becomes this uh, character that the, the Nazis uh, hate and fear as the, this sniper who mercilessly hunts them down and takes them out. And so her special skill set is actually mobility. So she, unlike the other characters, she can slide under tables and jump over tables and mount things at full speed. Um, and her missions kind of oscillate between creeping around and hunting snipers, a sniper hunting snipers, which is always good. But also, it actually has some close quarters combat that's very, very snappy, particularly in a post office or a hotel, where there are some certain enemy types who uh, have massive advantage over you that you have to use your mobility to outsmart. And there's one level in particular where she's in this like partially destroyed department store working up and down. There's a lot of good verticality as well. And there's just masses of soldiers coming to kill you. And her her main weapon is a pistol. I mean, of course, you can change it for a machine gun. But running around with her, sliding under tables and jumping around and taking, um, taking the enemy out like with single shots as you run around is actually the closest I've ever felt to a proper like John Wick action game. The many, many games try to get that fluidity and that gunplay. Uh, Respawn are very, very good at this. If you've played the Titanfall games, um, they are very, very good, or of course Apex Legends, they're very, very good at that snappy gunplay with high mobility. But this is really the best I've ever felt, the best it's ever been really and I think that the developers which I think were Sledgehammer mainly on this round although in the credits pretty much every single Activision studio known to man contributed to this but I think they inadvertently found a version of Call of Duty that's utterly distinct and could and should be the focus for the future I, I and many many other people like me that I've been reading would play an entire game with her skill set because the freedom you have is fantastic because it's, it's this beautiful juxtaposition between her very quick sliding jumping gunplay for close enemies compared with her sniping of distance enemies so you've got almost dare i say this early bungee like quality of uh, 10 seconds of fun and you've got a, a variety, just with your own skill sets, a variety of ways to clear out these levels that are, they're linear levels, of course, but they're wide. So you have multiple routes. And all the other levels are pretty good. Like the other heroes, like I mentioned, have demolitions expertise, or they're able to, to have heightened senses, or just to do, I can't even remember the other skills, but compared to Petrova's levels, 
they, they're just not on the same level at all. They're not on the same standard. So I, what I would really hope the developers take from this is either some specific uh, Petrova DLC, which I probably would actually buy. If you gave me five or six more levels, then I would buy this. Or some kind of even future franchise, even as a spin-off, I think they've got massive potential with this character that they could really, really um, make more use of. So I, I hope the feedback is being noted because lots and lots of people are saying the same thing as I am. And in the last mission then, all of these players come together. Again, you're, it's, you break out of prison and it's this final race to stop the really, really bad Nazi from doing really, really bad things. And the beautiful thing about the last level is that because you have been fully trained, if you like, on all the special abilities, at specific moments, it rotates around the, the characters that you have left. And it does this with sweeping camera work. And honestly, it's brilliantly directed. It's never less than exhilarating. There's one particular moment where you switch from sniping an enemy to uh, a different character with bombs trying to blow up tanks and then back again. And it is absolutely flawless. And there is a right towards the end, there's a, a, a part where you break into the room and you go within the space of about 10 seconds, you flick between all the remaining characters, taking out a person each as the camera sweeps around the room. Like the whole game, the, the level of expertise on show and artistry in the construction of this game is mind-blowing. It's a beautiful game, of course. I've played it on PS5. It's very, very beautiful. It's very, very well-designed. I didn't encounter many, um, uh, many bugs at all. There's lots of really nice... Um, animation to support the characters and the the cutscenes and the the mocap is is flawless. It's a shame Call of Duty now has this kind of jokey reputation as just being this yearly money machine, and and you know much of that is true. Call of Duty, like so many other games now, it is being pushed as a games as a service. It's an ongoing money maker. Any kind of single-player story is, is secondary to how Activision want to run their business, which, as we've seen in recent gaming news, they want to make money. That All they want to do is make money. And most of that money comes off people playing multiplayer and Warzone and things like that, uh, buying their, their way into it. And they make so much money doing it. You can almost not blame them, but as a 44-year-old gamer now who grew up playing single-player games, I kind of feel a bit like a dinosaur because I'm not into this the, the games of service at all. It doesn't interest me at all. Call of Duty, people do complain about the campaign length, but for me, it's perfect. I put that thing on the easiest... Um, difficulty level that it will let me and I race through this game and I have a damn good time and I bought this at full price and honestly after finishing the campaign I, I didn't regret that at all there are other modes um, nicely you can play the 
um, multiplayer modes with bots, which I've done a few times. There's also a really interesting zombies mode. I've played a lot of Call of Duty zombies in the past, but this mode is slightly different in that it's a series of locked portal doors, and each door is a mini objective in, a, in part of the map. So you have to kill a certain number of zombies, or you have to... Um, transport this flaming skull and protect it from one side to the other. I don't think it's as particularly as compelling as um, zombie modes I've played in the past, but it's quite interesting. The big disappointment for me though, and something that I really wish Call of Duty would um, focus on again, is the Spec Ops mode from Modern Warfare 2, from years and years ago. And I, I think the Spec Ops mode from that game is my most played Call of Duty, both in single player and couch co-op. If you've never played it, co-ops was a series of um, ranked single player or co-op uh, missions that had no story linked to each other. And they, they reused many of the game's locations for single objectives. And it really felt like Playing Time Splitters 2, which also had a wonderful arcade mode where you had single quick objectives and when you don't really want to battle through a story mode or you don't have that long playing a level that's completely self-contained and has a scoring system i find it incredibly addictive and the big disappointment for me from vanguard is that when i completed it there was no unlockable arcade mode or level mode. I was fully expecting, actually, the ability to play or replay different levels with different operatives because I wanted to play the whole game as Petrova and see how it changed the levels. Now, of course, these games are designed... Sorry, the levels are designed specifically for the operatives and their specific skills. So I, I do accept it's not as easy as I'm making out. But even just making um, the uh, an arcade layer, a scoring layer over the individual levels, that's skipping the cutscenes and just playing through, which is what I did with, if you remember back to the Medal of Honor reboot that EA did on the PS3, I got to the point where I could play those levels uh, almost on a perfect run because I played that game so much just um, trying to and uh, meet these arcade style um, restrictions and I had a great time doing that. I think if I could improve Vanguard in any way it would be adding a, a layer of not just spec ops would be wonderful. Actually I'd buy a whole game of just random missions like storing, storming aeroplanes and things like that would be perfect. But just an arcade layer or um, turn it into something a bit more fun and a bit more throwaway because I don't feel the, a massive need to go back to Vanguard. I've played, uh, I, I started playing through the campaign again, but because there's no remix, as much as I enjoy it, it's not holding the same thrills. Zombie, Zombies mode is fine, but I don't feel that compelled to play it. I am actually gonna try and dip into the multiplayer, <laughs> which will probably last me 20 minutes or so, because I really don't go, get on well with that kind of multiplayer. But I'd like to try it as I've bought the game. But I think, as a summary, it's a recommend. Certainly, I think Call of Duty is the kind of game that always 
appeals in the sale. Like, you can wait for this game if you want to. But buying at full price, even at the the extra PS5 price, the um, cross-gen edition, which they've made $90 before tax, which is kind of ridiculous for any game. The story is actually good enough to warrant some of your time and some of your money. And of course the the quality of it is extremely high, but buried in there are Petrova's missions. And as you play through her missions, it's hard to kind of ignore the fact that you, you're maybe playing the future of Call of Duty right there, because it's a fantastic experience. So I recommend. Now, of course, there's a huge caveat Activision has been in the news recently. Um, the uh, CEO, VP, the top of Activision, Bobby Kotick, has um, a checkered past, <laughs> to put it mildly, in terms of how his company treats their employees. There have been massive problems with inequality and misogyny, and there's been some more evidence of that. And Activision doesn't seem to be able or willing to do anything about it so as a consumer we kind of hold the last cards so i completely understand if you would rather not give activision any of your money at the moment the flip side of that is that the designers who worked on this game are uh, should be recognized this is a machine that they are part of but they have brought out something that is genuinely exciting and exhilarating so the devs should be supported too so i don't really know what the full solution is but i feel as a consumer there's not other choices we can make at this point but anyway as a game surprisingly good much better than call of duty's been in the last couple of years anyway so that's vanguard so in our retro look back this week we're actually going to look at the video game Res, and the reason we're going to look at it today is that it's the 20th anniversary of the original release of that game. And it's worth saying as well that this is not just an anniversary game that we're talking about. Res is actually my all-time favourite game, and still remains my all-time favourite game. Even after the thousands and thousands of games I've played, in my life over multiple systems. It's still my all-time favorite game. So if you've never played Res, it's it's kind of difficult to sum up how it feels or, or even what you do. Uh, I mean, on a technical level, you're basically moving into the screen, you're, you're going into a living computer to try and close it down. And you do this by destroying its self-defense mechanisms, which are um, vectored versions of animals and spaceships and plants and all kinds of things. And they're trying to stop you. And as you slowly move into the screen, like through the levels, you will be given a series of targets and you can uh, hold down your fire button, move your stick over the targets. And once you highlight or paint up to eight of them, you let go of your button and your lasers fire out and destroy them. Very similar to Panzer Dragoon, if you've ever played those. However, the designer of Res has always been involved in making games that are yeah, uh, 
The designer of Red has always been focused on making games that involve music, that are completely inseparable from their music. And Res is designed to simulate something called synesthesia. I hope I'm saying that right. Synesthesia? Synesthesia? So I, I actually have this. It was much stronger when I was younger. It's become less so as I get older. Maybe I'm just old and tired. But it's when your reactions, your sense reactions get crossed over. So you might taste music or you can smell colours. Um, I used to be able to listen to a piece of music and tell you visually what it looked like. And certainly certain um, memories have smells and uh, a, a sensation as well. Um, and the thing about Res is that the all the movement in the game is set to the beat of its incredible soundtrack. All the things you destroy, all the things you highlight. So the music is the gameplay. The gameplay is the music. And it's a it's the kind of experience that I, I've never done psychedelic drugs, but I imagine it possibly feels like playing Res. In fact, the closest I've ever got to a, a drug high was when I worked in the UK. Um, I was a drama teacher for a long time and we had access to a projector. And one weekend I took the projector home to uh, practice something with it. And um, I set up my PlayStation 2, plugged into a projector and cleared a whole wall. And so the entire wall was projected res and I ran it through a stereo. And I played through the beginning of this game from beginning to end. And you can play through the whole thing in like 45 minutes. It's the perfect pick up and play experience. And it turned out all the lights, turned the music on very, very high, played the whole thing from beginning to end. And the kind of zone that you get into where you sort of stare off into the middle distance and suddenly you feel like you're at one with what you see in front of you and the music is pounding and the visuals are these incredible like Tron style vectors sweeping past you. It's an incredible experience. And every time I play Res, I'm transported back to that feeling of getting utterly lost in its music and in its uh, transformative graphics. And every game that this designer has played, and of course this designer being Tatsuya Mitsuguchi, who's now a lecturer in Japan, he's made a number of games like Tetris Effect, Child of Eden, and, of, and the brilliant Luminous, which... Uh, the Vita Luminous is probably almost as good as Res, <laughs> and that's high praise indeed. But all of his games are experiments with visuals, gameplay, and music, completely intertwined. And it's a wonderful thing. So whenever I play any of his new games, I have this wonderful sensation of feeling music. It, it really feels like you are involved in the music itself. It's very hard to describe. So Res came out 20 years ago and uh, originally on the Dreamcast in 2001 and later to the PS2, which is where I played it. In 2012, I spent a year without buying any games whatsoever. And I succeeded apart from one instance. And I still think this counts because I couldn't play it. Um, I went to 
uh, Fan Expo, <laughs> when it was good, and there was a game seller there, and he was selling a Japanese first release of Res. And this was in November, and I'd lasted the whole year without buying a single game. I just had to get to the end of December. And I'd never seen this game store before, and I'd likely never see it again. And I knew I wouldn't have this opportunity, so I bought that game. <laughs> now, I still think it counts because I am unable to play that game. But I have a Japanese first release of Res, which I'm very, very happy about. And every time I go back to play it, I try and analyze it a little bit more. Like, why does this make me feel like this? And uh, I don't really have all the answers, but I know that I'm incredibly triggered by, <laughs> triggered, affected by music. Incidentally, the only other game that's made me feel anything remotely close to Res is Terry Kavanagh's Super Hexagon on phones. If you've never played Super Hexagon, please go to your iOS or Android device and download it, however much it costs. Basically, you have a pounding set of walls that close in on your little triangle and you have to rotate your triangle around a central pivot to not get crushed by the walls. <laughs> and again, it's completely linked to music. Uh, I got obsessed with that game, absolutely obsessed with that game. and. Uh, I don't meditate. I'm unable to clear my mind long enough to feel like I'm meditating. But that game is the only thing that makes me feel like I'm meditating. So I really recommend it. So Res is a very, very special game for me. It's kind of dictated how I want to feel in gaming. And some other games get aspects of it, like a good racing game or... Even um, the end of Nier Automata was surprisingly similar in terms of sensation because that ends with music as well. So Res has been completely uh, at the base of everything I think about when I think about my involvement with gaming. And you can buy, the most recent version is Res Infinite, which if you have an Oculus Quest 2 or PSVR, you can play in VR. I'm not convinced, uh, um, Mitsuguchi says that VR is the dream for Res, but I, for whatever reason, I get more out of it on a big wide flat screen rather than moving my head around in the world. And I don't know why that is. Um, I think it's maybe a, a focus thing, I don't know. But Res Infinite has a wonderful edition of um, Area X, I believe, I believe it's called, on the end, which is a the closest we've got to a res sequel where you actually move freely through a space and take on the, a giant butterfly lady again i'm describing it terribly but with the music pounding it's a, an utterly transformative experience same with tetris effect play tetris effect from vr and be marveled at how tetris can make you cry <laughs> and i'm not i'm not uh over exaggerating so it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to play any of his games. So please go do it. And that brings us to the end of the first gaming podcast of this year. I'll be back next week, hopefully, to talk about what I'm playing at the moment, which includes Guardians of the Galaxy on the PS5, which is significantly better than anyone expected it to be, myself included. I'm also working through N++ on the Switch, 
And I've just downloaded Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 as well, but my son might have to tell me how that is because he's taken that over completely. I just want to say that thing that we do on our movie podcast, that Awesome Friday is completely independent and run by ourselves. So it really helps us if you like what you hear to go into the site, maybe click an ad, see what catches your eye. We also have a Patreon that you can give any amount of money to. And honestly, any support you give us is wonderfully appreciated and makes a big difference to how often we can update for you. So thank you very much. I hope you get a chance to try out both the games I talked about this week. Have a great week and I'll see you soon. Bye.